The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Jesus gave us a stern warning that the last days will be characterized by wars, rumors of wars, and nations rising against nations. A major sign of the times is, of course, the restoration of the Jewish people to their ancient homeland. But where do you fit into all of these biblically forecast events of earthquakes, famine, a false apostate church, and the imposition of a one-world government. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. The very end time will be known as the Great Tribulation, or the time of Jacob's trouble. The question is, does the church that is, the true believers who know and live for Jesus the Messiah, will we go through Jacob's trouble, or will we be part of a mystery that Paul called the catching away? But is there really such a thing as the expectation for a rapture? Of course, it would be wonderful to be part of the only generation of believers who will escape the curse of death Yet for every believer in Jesus, whether we're dead or alive when he finally comes, the fear of death has been conquered once and for all. In fact, a scientist once said that he could only believe in a religion whose founder had conquered death. And indeed, Jesus is the only one to do so. As some believers sense the time of the rapture is near, how should that affect our lives? In the here and now. Should we be stockpiling food, building bomb shelters, or should we be looking up because our redemption is drawing closer? Well, these are all real questions going through the minds of true believers and endless debates among evangelicals. I personally believe in the rapture, the catching away of the church before the Great Tribulation, and this is because I don't believe that the church and the Jewish nation are the same entity. Since the day of Pentecost, there have been three groups of people in this world, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. Each group is separate, although there are both believing Jews and believing Gentiles making up the one new man within the church. Still, the church is not the same thing as physical Israel. The church is a distinct body. In fact, it is the mystical body of Messiah with Jesus as our head. The church, which means the called out ones, began on the day of Pentecost, and the church will have an ending. And that culmination will be at the rapture, when the fullness of the Gentiles is brought in. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul revealed that the church is a mystery that was hidden in God during the days of the Old Testament. To paraphrase the Apostle Paul, the church is a parenthesis in history. And what do I mean by that? Well, in the beginning, God raised up Israel to be his people. 
But Israel tragically rejected the Messiah, even though Jesus was sent right on schedule, specifically at the time revealed in advance to the prophet Daniel. So God, in his mercy, extended salvation to the Gentiles, calling out a group of both believing Jews and believing Gentiles into the church. And when God is fully satisfied with the full number of the church, and when the travail of the soul of Messiah is satisfied through his work of the atonement, the church, also called the bride of Christ, will be complete and then will be removed from the earth. And then God will return to bringing Israel back to himself, for he has the power to do it. And after all, he is a covenant keeping God. The Jewish people were dispersed because of unbelief, but not forever, only for a season during what the Bible calls the fullness of the Gentiles. Paul said to the former Gentiles in Romans chapter 11, he says, you being a wild olive tree, you were grafted in. Israel's branches were temporarily broken off from the root of blessing and were dispersed to the nations because of unbelief. Meanwhile, the Gentiles were grafted in. And Paul continues in Romans 11, he says, you were grafted in among them and with them enjoy the root and fatness of the olive tree. But he warned, don't get conceited, puffed up and proud. Just remember, you only stand in God's olive tree by faith. So don't be high-minded, but have a holy reverential fear. Because if God didn't spare the natural branches, take heed lest he also not spare you. Here's what we need to comprehend. The Old Testament did have the concept of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, for example, to anoint a prophet or a king. But the Hebrew Scriptures didn't have the concept that's revealed in the New Testament. And that is the Messiah living within us, inside of us. That's an important and very distinct revelation. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. The Apostle Paul wrote, The mystery which was hidden from the past ages and hidden from generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the Old Testament, the Jewish nation didn't know about the mystery of the church. The church is actually one of 18 mysteries mentioned in the New Testament. And Paul said this mystery of the church is Christ in you, the hope of glory. No Jewish person understood that concept because in the Old Testament, there was simply no revelation of the Messiah indwelling believers. But that's the unique character of the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us and we are living stones. You see, that's why the church is unique and distinct from Israel. Jesus explained it in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 20. 
He said, on that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Well, the Holy Spirit has been calling out people into the church body for nearly 2,000 years, but soon the day will come when the Lord will remove the completed church, this parenthesis, this sandwich between Israel. And then Israel will be grafted back into God's olive tree during the time of Jacob's trouble. In fact, Romans 11:25 is very important. Paul the apostle made a very important statement. He said, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that a partial blindness has happened to Israel only until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then gloriously, verse 26 says, then all of Israel shall be saved. That means Israel will be grafted back in again. The very fact that Paul draws a distinction between Israel and the church proves that there is indeed a difference between the two. Hallelujah. The church uniquely began at Pentecost. It will be completed at the rapture, and then Israel will be grafted back in. And I believe we're living in the general time known as the fullness of the Gentiles when the church age will be complete, and then Israel will be revived. Although it's not necessary to be part of the rapture to experience eternal salvation. It takes faith in Jesus for that. Nevertheless, it would be a glorious privilege not to have to experience death. This is because the Apostle Paul revealed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive on the earth will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. That's the rapture. And therefore, Paul says at the end of the chapter, we should encourage one another with these words. But in the meantime, it's our duty to fulfill the great commission of Jesus, and that is to win as many souls as possible in the remaining time of the Gentiles. So we need to be numbering our days to maximize our exploits. Although in Genesis 6-3, the Lord sets the human lifespan at 120 years, basically Psalm 90 teaches that the average years allotted to most people are 70, or if by reason of strength it says 80 years. So we have to be extremely wise how we use our limited time here on earth. Not everyone's going to make it to 120, even though that is the typical greeting that the Israelis give on your birthday. May you live to be 120. And it really bothers us when somebody we love dies prematurely. The first reaction many people have is to become bitter and angry at God. So I want to pause here for a moment to say that one of the principles I've learned from living amongst the Jewish people is to bow to God's will concerning life and death matters. Upon hearing of the death of the loved one, the Jewish people have been taught to say, Baruch Diane Emet. 
meaning blessed is the true judge. My non-literal translation would be, Father knows best. For centuries, Jews have been evoking this blessing in response to death and tragedy. The person who undergoes a tragedy or bereavement says the full blessing like this, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Dayan HaEmet meaning blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, the true judge. The short version has been made into a consolation, Baruch Dayan Emet. Blessed is the true judge. Jewish people also are taught to respond to generally unpleasant news with this phrase. This is also for the good. While these statements teach resignation to God's will, you see, there's a story in the Talmud concerning the great sage, Rabbi Akiva. He arrived at a certain city, but couldn't find any lodging. This reminded me of the New Testament story of Mary and Joseph seeking lodging in Bethlehem when she was pregnant with Yeshua. The only place Mary and Joseph could find was a stable. Well, Rabbi Akiva also couldn't find any lodging, so he slept that night in an open field saying that all God does, he does for the good. That night, an army captured the city and the rabbi was saved by sleeping in the field. And when we think of Mary giving birth in a stable and making a bed for her newborn in a manger, we don't read in the New Testament of her complaining about the unsanitary conditions or the disappointing circumstances. She accepted the orderings of God without any words of complaint. Well, seemingly negative circumstances in life happen for a reason, even if the reason is not readily apparent to us. Rabbi Akiva and the Jewish sages decreed that we should always thank God for the not-so-pleasant things that happen, just as we should have the presence of mind to thank Him for the obvious good things that happen in our life. This Jewish attitude calls to mind the saying of Rabbi Paul, the apostle, when he said in the New Testament to give thanks in all things, meaning in the midst of problems, not for the problem, but in the midst of it, offer up thanks to God for his goodness. Death is the most mysterious concept that we're forced to face in this life. But we do wonder, why did somebody die when they did? And why did God allow one person to live longer, perhaps, than another person who died prematurely? From our perspective, circumstances often seem unfair. However, even when it comes to death, we're taught by the Jews to bless God as the true judge. Isn't that liberating? We don't have to know the answer to everything. When the Jews say, blessed be the true judge, they acknowledge a mystery beyond themselves. We can't begin to comprehend everything, but we can acknowledge with peaceful abandonment that the true judge knows exactly what he's doing. King Solomon, in fact, declared in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1, a good name is better than costly perfume and greater is the day of death than the day of birth. That may seem a strange statement about death because Judaism is a faith that celebrates life. As the popular Jewish expression goes, l'chaim, to life. 
The Hasidic masters explained Solomon's statement that a person's death is the culmination of life and can be a defining moment. It's a time for important last words and for repentance. In the Hebrew sense, the word repentance means to return back to God. And repentance can be achieved at any and every point in life, but at no time is it more important than in life's closing moments. As the sages say, if not now, when? Well, dying is a process of separation of the body from the spirit and the soul. And sometimes the separation is sudden, but sometimes it's protracted. But I love what Abraham said in Genesis 18, verse 25. He said, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? And that's why we can say, blessed be the true judge. Well, there's no pat answers to why a person dies prematurely. A friend wrote to me after the death of a loved one due to cancer that he had been a backslider and was heavy into the drug culture, but he had repented and was being greatly used by God once again to help others come out of addiction. But he himself succumbed to cancer. And I want to read to you uh, some correspondence that I had with this friend about his death. She wrote to me, Christine, I was hoping you could help me with the confusion that I've been experiencing. I can't even help my own children come to terms with this death in the family. She said, I am so angry. I just don't want to contend anymore for anyone because it looks like it, prayer just doesn't help or work. I'm so tired of seeing cancer win. I believed for my relative's healing. I really did. And I was convinced that he would get up even after he died. I feel like his life was cut short. She asked, why pray and believe if you never get the victory? Yes, he's in heaven right now. That's great. But he was needed here on earth. God saved him and delivered him and was using him mightily. Heaven didn't need him. The world needed him. We get to spend eternity there. I'm just so angry, she said. Seriously, I know this sounds childish, but honestly, I don't care right now. I just need to hear something other than the canned response from Christians. Well, here's what I answered. I said, we have to keep believing that God honors our faith at all times, even when it looks like we've lost. God knows something that we don't know about your loved one's future if he had continued to live here on earth at this time. Perhaps there were some future tests that he would have failed or some other fall from grace. From the Jews, I've learned so much, and they are taught to say, no matter what, when a loved one dies, Baruch Dayen Emet, roughly translating meaning, blessed is the judge who knows best. Even when we feel anger and disappointment, we have to admit that God does see the bigger picture better than we do. Apparently, God's assessment was that your loved one had finished his time and accomplished the most that he was going to accomplish. Perhaps he had done his full duty and to have stayed longer here in this life could have been a danger or even a snare for him. Well, my friend replied, thanking me so much. She said, I really do appreciate this wisdom from the Jewish people. 
and she said, I receive it. It helps to have someone outside the situation to speak into it sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes when we're in the middle of something, it's so hard to pull back and see the bigger picture. So she was angry when she wrote, but now she appreciates the wisdom that our Jewish elders can give to us, and we thankfully receive it from them. Because death is never a friend when we lose a loved one. No matter how long we've been privileged to have loved ones with us here on earth, still it never seems long enough when they're gone. We just have to admit that God knows circumstances beyond what we can see. But there are also a number of possible reasons given in the Bible for premature death. And one of the scary reasons that we have to face square on is that God says he does remove branches that do not bear fruit. This is a harsh reality, but in John chapter 15, Jesus spoke of judgment upon unproductive followers. He said, branches in him that do not bear fruit are as good as dead and will be cut off. So in the New Testament, there are two kinds of gardening. First of all, there's pruning, which is painful, but the result is more growth and, and fruit. But secondly, there are branches that don't bear fruit. And they're not just pruned, but they are completely cut off. So that's something to think about. Another reason for premature death is clearly stated by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27. He described it as partaking of Holy Communion in an unworthy manner. The verse says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. I've done a fuller teaching on that elsewhere, but Paul goes on to say, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord and what he has accomplished, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul says, that's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But before we close today, I realize that we've been discussing many weighty matters. And I often think about John the Baptist when he was in prison and he began to have questions in his mind. If Jesus was even truly the Messiah, the son of David, the promised one. And so John sent a couple of his disciples to find out. And in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3, the disciples came and asked Jesus, Are you he that was prophesied to come, or should we look for another? But Jesus answered that they should go and show John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And he said, watch this, this is very important, and the dead are raised up. That's how we know Jesus is Lord. I mentioned earlier in the program about a scientist who said he would only believe in a religion that had conquered the problem of death. And Jesus is the only Savior whose tomb is empty because he is the Savior. He is the Lord. He had power over four Ds, diseases, demons, disorders, and death. Never forget 
those things. And because he's risen, he's the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. He can give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He can raise the dead. These messianic miracles are his credentials. And the wonderful thing is that I offer the same Jesus to you so that you will never have to fear death. And if you are alive when he returns, you'll never die. You will be raptured. He's wonderfully accessible right now to everybody because he's alive. But all you have to do is call upon him and he will be right with you, answering your difficult questions, casting out demons, conquering death and disorders. And there he will be with you forever. He can be found. He can be sought out. You see, Elijah the prophet in the Bible mocked the God of the pagans. When their God didn't show up to help them, Elijah said, Maybe your God's on vacation, or perhaps he's asleep. You'd better wake him up. But Jesus is available to all of us 24-7. He's a touchable Savior. All who reached out and touched him were healed, and Jesus heals today, restores, forgives, remits sins, and he fellowships with the lonely and the bereaved. He's even a friend to sinners. God became accessible through Jesus and became available to you and me. Well, my friend, I believe the Bible is a book about the last days and that there's a great tribulation that's worse than all the suffering this world has seen up to this point. Jesus has promised the church will be persecuted, but he said we're not appointed to wrath because all of our judgments were taken by him at Calvary. So I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the glorious appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And that means also that God's beloved Israel will be saved and will soon be grafted in again. Therefore, I pray that anybody watching or listening to this program will be ready for the moment of death or for when Jesus appears. I urge you to repent of any sin and call upon the name of the Lord while he's still available and accessible. The Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, shall be saved. For there is no other name given whereby men can be saved but by the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, if you'd like to view this program again, or if you'd like to watch our other programs concerning Israel, divine healing, or understanding the times, you can stay in touch and contact with me through social media, or you can visit our website daily. Our address is exploits.tv. We invite you to click online to receive a free copy of our color magazine, Exploits. And on our website, you can explore our archive of past videos, and you'll find daily news updates and commentaries about important events, as well as details of our upcoming prayer convocations in the Holy Land and prayer pointers. And so until next time, earnestly contending for the faith and reminding you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. Our ancestors knew their Bible. This medieval map from about 1300 shows the known world, and at the very center is the holy city of Jerusalem. Today, Jerusalem is still the apple of God's eye. It's from Jerusalem that Jesus commanded the word of the Lord should go forth into all the world. 
That witness is what the Jerusalem Channel is all about. It's only through the support of you, the viewers, that we can continue to bring video teachings and daily website updates of what God is doing in these last days. For viewers in the United States, our ministry is tax-deductible. And in the UK, we're a registered charity to qualify for gift aid. You can make a credit card donation through our secure website or by check to our postal addresses in the US and UK. Please help us to continue and expand this outreach of the gospel through the Jerusalem Channel.